that and that's exactly the thing like it's a, you can't take one of these dimensions and only work on that like if you just work on making sustainable buildings then they might not be affordable to to the many so what's the point or they might not be dignified and then what's the point a building is for people so it's it's got to be tailored to people welcome to urban limitrophe a Toronto-based podcast exploring the global African experience by highlighting the various initiatives happening in cities across the African continent and occasionally the diaspora to creatively solve problems, support communities, create vibrant urban spaces, and build better cities overall. I'm your host, Alexandra, and join me as I explore this episode's topic. This episode is sponsored by the University of Toronto School of Cities. The School of Cities convenes urban-focused researchers, educators, students, practitioners, and the general public to explore and address complex urban challenges with the aim of making cities and urban regions more sustainable, prosperous, inclusive, and just. To learn more about their work, visit schoolofcities.utoronto.ca. This episode is also co-sponsored by the University of Toronto's Department of Geography and Planning. To learn more about their work and the different undergraduate and graduate programs available, please visit geography.utoronto.ca. For many, the pandemic has been an awakening about not only the way that our cities are built overall, but how and where we live within them. In many urban areas around the world, as our streets emptied due to lockdowns and other restrictions, it made it even more obvious those without a roof over their heads to shelter from the pandemic, let alone the outside world. According to the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and a few other international human rights treaties, housing, particularly adequate housing, is a human right. According to UN Habitat, adequate housing should have at minimum the following seven things. One, security of tenure, meaning that it should have legal protection against forced evictions, harassment, and other threats. Two, availability of services, materials, facilities, and infrastructure, such as safe drinking water and heat. Three, it should be affordable. Four, it should be habitable. For example, there should be enough space and physical safety for one's well-being. Five, is accessibility. For example, housing should take into account the specific needs of marginalized groups. Number six is location. For example, housing shouldn't be isolated from key services or employment areas, and it should not be near any toxic areas. And last but not least, the seventh criteria is cultural adequacy, as in housing should allow for cultural expression. But why is it such a big deal, you might ask? Well, I think that the United Nations explains it best when it says that housing is the basis of stability and security for an individual or family, the center of our social, emotional, and sometimes economic lives. A home should be a sanctuary, a place to live in peace, security, and dignity. It's that focus on dignity and dignified housing that led me on a quest to learn more about what exactly this means and find someone out there who is working to make this dream a reality. Fortunately, I stumbled across BuildX Studio, an innovative, award-winning architectural studio based in Nairobi. That is the first architecture, engineering, or construction company in Africa to become B Corp certified. The team at BuildX Studio is on a mission to build radically better buildings. And I am fortunate that way back in July 2021, I got to speak with Carolina, the co-founder of the studio, to learn more about how her team 
is building circular, green, affordable, dignified housing in Kenya, and how through their relationships and partnerships with other organizations, such as their sister branch, Build Her, their work focuses on embedding equity and diversity and sustainability in every stage of the development process. Let's tune in. What is the BuildX Studio and what is the work that you do? BuildX Studio is, uh, well, we, we do many things, but I guess all of them are with a very clear mission to create what we call radically better buildings, which is um, basically it's a buildings that are net zero carbon, that are equitably designed and that enhance the health and well-being of the people that use them. So we do that through a, a design and build model. So we are a team of designers, builders, economists, all sorts, sorts of different backgrounds. And uh, we are also starting to develop our own projects as well to try and catalyze on that uh, on that impact um, which we're also starting to measure as well so yeah that's it in a nutshell <laughs> and so what inspired you to start the, the studio well I joined my co-founder in 2016 um, James who um, was uh, setting up to uh, to move here to Kenya and to uh, basically take what was the the predecessor of Buildex Studio uh, which was called Orchid Studio onto a new stage of its life uh, so to speak so um, uh, basically I, I joined at a point where we were changing the the model to a model of a social enterprise which is what we are now um, and uh, just based on, on, on a a hunger to, I guess, being based in the places where we uh, where we were developing our projects. So we wanted to move from where we were before, which is Glasgow, UK, to um, uh, to Kenya for the because the majority of our projects are here and around East Africa. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how it how it started, I guess. Yeah, and, and you were talking about the work, and you, you mentioned like uh, the focus on like equitable spaces and making them really like amenable for living, and really uh, really focused on the people, and less so than let's say like the product or also the product, but as part of the whole. And so, in researching mm-hmm. the work that you do, I saw the word like dignity come up over and over again, and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I'll admit that was like the first time that I had really read the word like associated with like design and then housing and then really like affordable housing. And but mm-hmm. I I feel like that word really encapsulates an interesting like aspect of this broader like housing crisis that we're really begun to explore like outside, mm-hmm. you know, of like the architecture like field that you're in and the like urban planning sectors that I'm interested in, especially, you know, because of mm-hmm. COVID and then we're all stuck inside and then people started realizing how 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 some of us have space and 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 our homes are like conducive to our well-being versus like others who are living you know either who are literally either unhoused or um you know have a, a smaller houses to to live in and so that really mm-hmm. resonated with me and so I was wondering if you could like unpack that further and by first like exploring this project of yours it's called the circular cooperative affordable housing project and so mm-hmm. yeah if you can explain what this project is and how it got started yeah so um I mean the the word dignified can be a bit of a trick word it's not um some people hear dignified and think, okay, well, let's let's give it just enough for it to be, you know, to, to reach the threshold of, of dignified to us. What what dignified means is is you know enabling people to live their best lives and to and, and create spaces that 
enable that. So uh, it's not only you know just uh, making the window large enough so that there is just enough ventilation. It's, it's <laughs> making sure that <laughs> that that the spaces are healthy and that are enhancing uh, quality of life and, and well-being of people. So um, back to your question about the circular affordable housing. Um, that's a, a project that we started about. Two years ago, um, which it has sort of uh, evolved around many faces, but it's it's basically a research project where our key question was how could we take prefabricated housing, uh, which is something that has been uh, successful in many countries across the world, but somehow not quite made it in Kenya, um, and 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 make it actually work in Kenya and uh, also seeing that the benefits of, of prefabrication are not only that it can be faster and more efficient and, and better economically but also that it can seriously reduce waste and uh, introduce sort of circular economy principles into how we build um, so rather than thinking of the, the linear process of we take something we use it and then we throw it away um, eliminating uh, waste and thinking well how can how can what we currently call waste become something useful for something or someone else um and get um, sort of yeah close that circle so to speak and get it back into the process so what what this project is exploring uh is, is basically what are the options that we've got in kenya to use materials and create buildings that are following those circular economy principles as much as possible um, so the, the key material that we're using uh, in this project is mass timber, um, which is a material that in Toronto, in Canada, you uh, and they are using a lot and elsewhere in the world. But here in East Africa is unheard of. And so we are sort of trying to pioneer the, uh, the introduction of this material into Kenya because well, we've got we've got the in the forestry, we've got the um the, the the in the labor to produce this and uh, all we need is kind of for the knowledge to to arrive here and and we believe that it's uh it's the material of the future for uh, for kenya and more widely for for east africa it can uh, it's not only uh lighter and uh, more efficient it's also got the circular uh, principles that we were talking about that timber is coming from a natural source is even storing a uh, carbon as opposed to uh, releasing carbon into the atmosphere and then at the end of its life it can be reused it can be reused many times but once uh, once it's completely unusable it can also be transformed into other timber products so it's it's really highly circular it can be reused many times so yeah that's that's kind of uh, how how the project is spanning along currently we are uh, developing a prototype here in Nairobi and I hope to finish the project in the next couple of months um, so I'm sure you will hear a lot more about it then oh that's so exciting <laughs> I can't wait to see it <laughs> yeah see it and, and learn more about it once it's like all up and running <laughs> oh that's really yeah, cool. very exciting <laughs> yeah and I think that's really interesting what really like drew me to this project is that that like multi-pronged approach like we talked a bit about dignity but also making it affordable but also that process of production and design you're really trying to make it um, like more environmentally friendly yeah. as well that and that's exactly the thing like it's a, you can't take one of these dimensions and only work on that like if you just work on making sustainable buildings then they might not be affordable to to the many so what's the point or they might not be dignified and then what's the point a building is for people so it's it's got to be tailored to people so and that and that's also one of the problems that you that you see in many affordable housing programs which is 
they are just affordable. They're focused on on the affordability of the uh, of the houses, and they're not really concerned about how is that house going to impact the environment around it, and how is, is it going to impact the people that are living in it. Um, yeah, so that's that's one of the things that we are trying to to uh, to sort of tackle. It's not just one dimension. It's got these uh, these three dimensions. It's for people. It's for the planet, and it's also got to be, um, you know, working for the for the budgets. I guess. Mm-hmm. And before we like kind of dive deeper into that, so you mentioned like the circular economy and circular design. So for those who are listening who aren't that familiar with these concepts, if you could break down yeah. some of those principles that you're talking about and what how you're trying to yeah, integrate that into the this particular project. Yeah, so, um, well, the, the circular design, is, it basically comes from the circular economy uh, principles, um, which are, are used in many other disciplines, not only in architecture. If anything, in, in uh, construction and, and uh, buildings, it's sort of a nascent um, mm-hmm. term in comparison. But it basically it means that, you know, the linear process of uh, taking, taking something from somewhere, you making use of it and then wasting it in a in a landfill it's about turning that waste into something useful so that you're closing the circle and so that you're 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 basically not generating any new waste um so back to the example of the mass timber this cross-laminated timber um you're you're taking the the timber from a resource that is renewable you can keep growing more trees and and replenish what you what you took you're turning it into something that can be reused many times it's you know it's a structure that is just bolted together you can literally unscrew it and use it elsewhere and at the end of its life once it's uh, served its purpose it can be repurposed into something else it can be turned into plywood it can it can be turned into wood chips that that can then become uh many different things whether it's a fuel for the production of more clt or whatever it may be so um so it's it, it sort of takes that what would have been just waste and in any other uh industry it would have just been thrown away and turns it into into something useful mm-hmm. And then you see, you talked about the fact that mass timber is like this new, I guess, like concept in the, in this particular region, and that also this idea of like like prefab homes or like the the this like modularity principle of the of creating these these houses mm-hmm. is also a new thing. And so I wonder, yeah, in trying to like push innovation into this particular area, what have been I guess some of the challenges that you faced in trying to bring this project to life? Ah, where do I start? <laughs> um, <laughs> I think the main the main challenge is the cultural shift that needs to come whenever you're introducing any any new product to to the market. I mean, as an example, when skyscrapers started to appear in the world in the early 1900s, um, skyscrapers were 10 stories. Now, you know, we see buildings of 80 stories or more, uh, but they used to be, you know, they, these scary tall things of uh, 10 stories tall. And many people would be scared to actually get inside those buildings. They thought they were going to fall down. And look at us now, we're building 100 plus story um, uh, towers. And we are actually even starting to build towers out, out of this very mass timber product um so i think the 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 key thing and a key challenge that we are starting to to face now is well you know this is timber so people have these uh, misconceptions or these these uh preconceived thoughts about timber whether it's that it burns because you do use timber for fire or whether it's that um 
uh, I don't know, whatever it, whatever it may be, it's not very durable or what happens with the termites or um, uh, whatever, you know, whatever preconceptions you have about it. Um, I think that's the, the key barrier between introducing any, any new material and it actually being used. Um, so I think, yeah, I think that's, you know, we, ha we haven't actually started creating any any actual buildings out of this say out of this material but that is one of the key challenge that challenges that we've identified on uh, that that we're going to have to sort of do a lot of advocacy work and and sort of um show people how they it is actually the the material of the future and it is being used very successfully in other uh in other parts of the world so um there's no reason why it shouldn't work here yeah, you mentioned a lot of different components. I can imagine, yeah, that's. I feel like that's a, ca a challenge in a lot of <laughs> all of the different people I've been talking to and the different projects they're doing is that definitely that cultural <laughs> shift kind of running into barriers there. Oh, but yeah. then once you <laughs> kind of cross that threshold, it's definitely worth it in the end. That's exciting. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I, I mean, we've, we've kind of gone through that process already when we were um, working with uh, Earth some years ago, uh, and we were introducing this uh, in this concept of building with Earth here. Uh, most people like to build with stones and with concrete and with you know things that are solid and then the supposed materials of the uh, of the future <laughs> or whatever concrete and steel and, and glass and all these all these wonderful things. But in reality. Um, you know, earth is the is a more economic material. Is the, the one that that is that is the most accessible for everyone, and it is very durable. It's a, you know, it's a, it has a lot of uh, thermal properties and and uh, insulation properties that even stone doesn't doesn't have as well. Um, so when we were introducing a, this, it's a method called earth bags, where basically you're taking polypropylene bags and filling them with earth, compacting them, and then you basically turn that bag into like an oversized brick um, and, and you lay them uh, as, as if they were bricks and then you blasted them on top. So um, when, when we introduced the earth bag, because it was being inserted into a bag and it, it, it suddenly became like a technology and you know, you could call yourself an earth, earth bag expert because you've done a, an earth bag house. And then it, it sort of started to create this shift from oh, we're building with mud and this is going back to the past and why would we do that uh, to we're creating a new technology. Um, so there are some ways to sort of uh, to beat those cultural shifts. We, we also had a similar issue when we were building our hospital in Zambia, Sachiwambu Hospital, where we were building uh, out of earth bricks as well, but we were building in a, in a vaulted structure. So if you think barrel vaults um, basically our, our roofs uh, had that um that shape and uh, for for the local community having bricks on the roof was just completely alien and <laughs> when they first saw the images of the renders they were like absolutely no there is no way that bricks can go on a, on a roof they're going to fall on my head so we had to build a mock-up on the floor and start stacking cement bags one on top of the other and when they it reached two tons worth of cement bags on top of this little vault and they saw that it was still sanding then they started believing oh okay I can I can live under this I can, <laughs> I can actually you know this is not going to fall on me so um yeah there are ways to to tackle that and it is absolutely worth it when you actually see the end result and see how that that hospital uh, going back to that example has such a you know it is such a good thermal mass and it, it keeps the in the rooms nice and warm during the night when it 
it gets quite cold in Zambia um, and keeps them cool during the day when it gets uh, the, the sun is over your head and it gets quite hot. So um, it's, uh, yeah, the, you, you see the benefits and uh, of, of beating those fears, so to speak. <laughs> that being said, I wanted to jump back to that conversation we started about like dignity, because I feel like when mm. it comes to affordable housing, that's a really important aspect that's kind of like pushed aside. You're like, okay, um, you know, if it's affordable, it just has, like you mentioned, is if it's affordable, it's just just the bare minimum and like just kind of like good luck. Mm. <laughs> and then if you want a, a house that's more like, yeah, innovative or more like environmentally friendly or all these different things, like you have to pay more. And so it's not affordable and that's like out of their price range. But at the end of the day, it's not, it doesn't make sense and it's not fair. So I was wondering if you could explain more about like what is actually like that concept of dignified affordable housing and then like what are the like kind of characteristics that you know sh- that you're considering when you're creating it for this particular project yeah of course we have, we've actually developed a whole framework for how how may these houses should be in terms of uh, dignity and and uh, basically related to the health and well-being that we were talking about earlier we used the world green building council's health and well-being framework which was released in november last year and we we basically took that framework is a it's, it's a great tool. It's a, it's a compilation of all the information that is around the world about health and well-being and how our buildings impact that. And, and they've collected it into these core principles of, you know, what are the things that you should be doing uh, when you're designing and when you're building to ensure that there is, a, you know, that health and, and quality of life is being taken care of. So the kind of things that that, uh, that, that has shown us, which we have used for uh, for our affordable housing are things like ensuring that there is a, a view to nature from every single home in the development. So, you know, the blocks are arranged around a courtyard and that courtyard doesn't have cars and car parks. It has trees and a playground for the children. And that's that's another thing that is not usually provided for in affordable housing, but that is absolutely essential is having space for the for the kids to play. Whereas here you see many kids just playing in the uh, in the car park, which is not safe. So it's looking at things like that. It's looking at also uh, when it comes to to comfort within the home, ensuring that the levels of light and the levels of ventilation are properly taken care of, um, that that it doesn't get too hot or too cold inside the room. So just through passive design strategies, that doesn't need to cost very much. It just depends on on how you position your windows so that it's uh, going across where where the wind is coming from and capturing that wind and getting it to to come in. You don't need to have air conditioning in Nairobi to to make the rooms feel cool. The temperature is actually ideal throughout the year you don't you don't have the, the issues that you have in, in, in toronto with um uh with very extreme <laughs> different temperatures <laughs> yeah so um so so let's harness that let's take advantage of the fact that we've got that consistent temperature throughout the year we don't need air con we don't need air fans we don't need heating um we we can just make sure that that the ventilation is properly designed and that you can open a window on one side and on the other and suddenly the rooms are nice and fresh so it's just looking at strategies like that um there's a lot in the in the framework as well about what material you use and making sure that the uh, the materials are also healthy for you. So using plywoods that don't have any volatile organic compounds and uh, there's, there's certain materials that release some substances that are not necessarily good for you when you're breathing them all the time. So it's just being careful of what materials you pick for your design and making sure that they're they're healthy for people. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a, a lot of little things, but they don't 
I, again, they don't necessarily need to cost more. It's just about doing the design process, making sure that you're thinking of those, of all of those things ahead of time. And if you've designed your room properly, then you won't need to put the air conditioning afterwards <laughs> because it gets hot. So yeah, looking at things like that. Yeah, it's really is interesting. Yeah, there's so many different ways to like make it. <laughs> I feel like when you're when you're talking about this, it sounds really like kind of like easy and and and. Yeah, I just want it's, it's it's like not easy, but I like it sounds like it's like since it's so possible, it's weird that people don't like don't do it in in terms of yeah um, ensuring that yeah houses that are both affordable are also just like nice to live in as well. Mm. I mean, I won't I won't like that, and there are things that you can do to your house that make it a lot more sustainable, but also make it a lot more expensive. And and that preconception that my, many people have of oh, I want my house to be green, but I don't want to break the bank in the meantime, is a real thing. But there are you know the different energy systems like solar panels and and these things that you can add are are getting more and more affordable as uh, as they're being developed more and more so they are becoming slowly a lot more accessible and there are again passive strategies and and things that you can do to make your houses greener without necessarily having to to spend extra money on it and it just takes a little bit of, of time to to think about that was your was your designing one of the last aspects of this like really multi-pronged diverse project is yeah like a, <laughs> the actual affordability for the people um in in the area and so i've read that for this particular project you're aiming to build like 10,000 affordable homes in kenya by 2030 <laughs> and then you mentioned this like launch coming up and all these um interesting things and so in getting to that goal i was wondering like where in the, like the country are you planning to place these homes to get that goal because I guess mm-hmm. my thought is that as much as um, you want the housing itself to be like kind of dignified and, and affordable and like really good for your well-being, it's also more than just like the houses and, and you're also considering like the neighborhood as well and creating like these more livable essentially neighborhoods for people to live in. So yeah, if you could share. No, absolutely. Well, first, uh, more of a clarification. We've got we've got two affordable home projects uh, going on, and they they sometimes get a little bit mixed up. So, the pledge to build ten thousand affordable homes by twenty thirty is 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 for a project called Zima Homes, which is a, an affordable housing project that we are the developer for, actually, and that is hopefully breaking ground in Nairobi in the next few months as well. So, it's also all very aligned. Like all of the deadlines are happening at once, <laughs> as they do. So, <laughs> so. so so for that for that project, it's basically for Kenya. We're starting in Nairobi. Our first project is in Kiambu County, but from there it can grow to different cities in uh, across Kenya. Really, it's more of an urban project. The same the same way as the as the other project, the circular uh, housing project is is also quite urban. But yeah, it basically is trying to tackle similar things. But uh, yeah, it's it's essentially uh, wanting to make housing accessible for the bottom 40% of the of the population, which up to now, I think 80% of the housing supply in Kenya is for middle income and high income, uh, which is the man- minority of the population. So housing is not really at the moment accessible for the for the many. And there are many programs like the affordable housing program from the government who are trying to tackle this issue. Uh, there is a lot of demand for affordable housing, but it's, it's just about cracking that affordability element land is still very high in places like Nairobi and that makes it difficult for any any developer to sort of make ends meet and and make the housing truly affordable so yeah that's that's the challenge that we're trying to tackle (laughs) 
Yeah, that was something I had also read on your, on your website. So I, yeah, I guess I got the both projects uh, mixed up. But in terms of reading of the <laughs> initial project, the circular housing yeah. project, um, that that was one of the challenges I had read, where it's like determining affordability for like a predominantly informal economy. And I thought mm. that was interesting in terms of, yeah, how do you determine what's affordable for the population, so to speak? Yeah, so basically through market studies it would we we went out there and uh, studied what is the the earning power and the spending power of of the people that that would live in those homes in the typical middle income salary of the houses i was talking about the 80 percent of of supply apparently in, in kenya is uh, more like what would that be in dollars like 1500 dollars a month kind of salary whereas what we're talking about for for that affordable that bottom 40 percent is half or less of that um so so you know and and then figuring out the and the further well from the salary that you get about a third usually goes towards rent or or your mortgage or whatever it might be so so from that you kind of get okay this is this is the amount that people will be able to spend in a month for it's towards rent or towards a mortgage so to so that kind of gave us the I guess the, the the numbers or the targets to to work towards um and then it's it's about figuring out how do you actually make that work at the at the financial side between all the construction costs and the land costs and all the permits and everything else so yeah Okay, so the homes, let's say like the end goal for, uh, let's say the circular project or the, the second one you mentioned, is it that these homes are like owned by these uh, people or is it like a rented? Yeah, our goal with uh, Zima Homes, which is in the project that actually has housing that is that is coming up, is to to enable home ownership for that bottom forty percent of the of the pyramid because it's something that well in 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 Kenya there's about twenty five thousand mortgages in the whole country uh, and the country is like fifty million people so mortgage is kind of not a thing it's not affordable and it's it's not something that that most people can access to the interest rates are just way too high for anyone to be able to consider them so so what we're trying to uh, to enable is a tenant purchase scheme where the people living in there are paying a rent but they are paying towards a share in, in in their apartment to eventually be able to own their home. So so that that will then untap a whole other range of opportunities for those uh, people who are constantly paying rent and suddenly they own a home. They can use that as an asset and they can use that as collateral for the next loan to pay for the school fees of their, their children. And that, yeah, untaps a a whole lot of opportunities for them. So that and that is the the goal for Zima homes. Also, kind of touching back on the dignity uh, element, Zima in in Swahili means whole and healthy. Um, so we kind of take that name as well to to, to sort of uh, yes, it's affordable housing, but it's also dignified. It's it's a it's a, an affordable housing development that is going to be healthy and and dignified for the people living in it. Oh, that's great to hear. That's so exciting. <laughs> Some, I mean, you keep on uh, revealing all these different aspects. It's really great to, to, to hear. And that's a really, um, I mean, I'm really happy to hear that. <laughs> that's like kind of the end goal and that it's something that, yeah, people who are taking advantage of these affordable housing, these dignified <laughs> affordable houses will be able to actually mm-hmm. own them. And like you said, build collateral and build equity and, and, and wealth and long-term wealth for themselves. That's really cool. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. thank you. And so... You do a lot of really great things. And I know you mentioned previously, I think about like having to do some like advocacy in terms of changing mindsets about these different like innovative ways of like creating homes or just creating, you know, uh, the building, the, the built environment in general. And so I wonder what kind of supports, whether they be like policies or like partnerships, do you think that like cities 
or like governments should be like offering like companies or organizations like yourself to like help establish and expand this particular kind of like brand of, of like sustainable and dignified affordable housing programs or like initiatives? At the government level, there's actually quite a lot happening here already. There is, well, there's the affordable housing program, which I mentioned earlier, which is a, an initiative from the from this current government to, to build 500,000 homes in in their five years or of, of tenure. And uh, the, the actual initiative and the incentives that they are trying to promote, things like uh, tax exemptions for construction materials and giving, uh, giving land for, the, um, uh, for, for those government projects are, they are heading in the right direction. There are still sort of loopholes to get over um, as, uh, you know, whether it's corruption loopholes or, you know, personal interests over these interests, but the actual program in itself, it is heading in the right direction, in my opinion. Um, they also added a, another requisite for any any homes under this uh, program to be certified uh, green under a, pro, uh, a certification called EDGE. Um, which is um, which is a, a certification here in uh, well in in uh, many countries across the world, but it, it basically certifies the building green. So it's more it's not only that it's affordable, it's also that it's um, it being more environmentally friendly, which I think is a a great initiative as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, in terms of supports for companies like us is you know if we were able to get into that program that would be brilliant <laughs> basically um we're still trying it's it's taking a little bit long um but i i think those kind of initiatives to try and and, and relieve uh, the the initial uptake and, and to get people get get developers to see the benefits of uh, doing affordable housing as opposed to you know there's an oversaturated middle income and high income housing supply but people need affordable homes. Um, so if you are able to incentivize the developers to, to build uh, those homes and to also build them in a, in a sustainable way and going through this uh, certification process with EDGE, then you know, it's, a, it's a win-win situation. Um, so yeah, I think the, it's, it's more about implementation. I think the programs are, are there. And partnerships, absolutely. I think uh, one, one of the things that I think we probably all felt is the, the lack of connectivity with COVID, just the fact that all your connections have to be through your, through a screen and there's only so much time that you can spend in front of a computer. <laughs> and, um, and I think in uh, an environment where, where you can establish those partnerships and actually, you know, meet with different people who have the, the different interests and sort of build on each other's strengths um, is is what makes things happen. I mean, the, like, you know, for, for, for the Zima project, we've got uh, partnerships with so many uh, and different companies who, and, and, and funders and, uh, and everything to, that, that are helping uh, make that happen. So, you know, from uh, our funders uh, who are a, a company called Real, um, based off of, uh, off of the UK, uh, to uh, we've we've got several partners that are uh, helping us develop a, a more standardized design for for Zima so that it can be more easily replicable for those ten thousand homes across the country. Um, so so and, uh, these these partnerships are what in the end enable that innovation and and breaking through the the barriers of how things have been done up to now. Um, so, so yeah, those those are absolutely as essential. So, enabling those those partnerships is the is the is the challenge now. I think we need to 
hopefully when COVID eases a little bit and be able to to get out there and and uh, be able to connect with people a lot more. Yeah, and so I just wanted to touch on partnerships because I know um, like when I initially reached out to you is um, wanting to learn more about like Build Like Studio, but also the Build Her <laughs> kind of aspect of the organization. Yeah, yeah. yeah and then also, funnily enough, um, in my various emails I had sent, I've also managed to connect with um, with Tattoo from the from Build Her, <laughs> and so I'll be talking to her a little bit later. But to connect these two conversations together, um, can you explain more? Because you talked about earlier, <laughs> jumping to the very beginning, you mentioned like design, build, and in in from what, well, actually, if you could explain more about that <laughs> really briefly, but also how Build Her um, and the great work that they do and as a like kind of like sister uh, branch of what you're doing. Uh, yeah, how does that mm. kind of fold into this broader um, development work or, or, you know, housing work that you're doing? Yeah, um, thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, so at the, at the beginning of this conversation, I talked about, you know, one, one of our things that worry, uh, worry us in the, in the construction industry is about uh, making sure that the buildings are equitably designed so that they're designed for everyone and by everyone. Um, so uh, we, our, our company is, uh, well, is 50% owned and 70% uh, of the leadership is women. Um, we are, uh, you know, uh, 60 to 70% of the of, of, of the entire team is also um, uh, uh, made, out, uh, made out of women. And uh, to us, I think it's not just a statement of ticking boxes or, or of uh, trying to be equitable for equitability's sake, um, but, it's, but it's more the consciousness that, we all have our own biases, and when we when we allow for diversity, uh, not only in in terms of gender, but in terms of background and culture and and, and everything, we've got so many country representations from different countries in our team as well. Um, we you know we we are able to to see the barriers much more easily. Um, so you know it's it's just things like on. When, when you're looking at how you design buildings, you know, there is a reason why uh, the cues to the bathroom of, uh, of women's bathrooms is always consistently so much longer than the cues to men's bathrooms. And it's, uh, it's in, uh, in most cases because the person who was behind that design was a man and didn't mm. actually realize that we just take longer. Mm. <laughs> so there's, there's just things like that that you, that you see as you're, as you're designing that you know, for someone uh, who is taller, this uh, the height of this door might be an issue, or for someone who's shorter, the height of this uh, switch, or uh, for someone in a in a wheelchair, or for someone um, you know with a different color skin, uh, there's 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 all these conditions that you you cannot on your own be aware of them. So so you need our your team to be representing as as many uh, different you know cultures and backgrounds and 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 genders as, as possible so that you can be aware of, of all of those differences and, and differences and and design in a way that is uh catering to everybody um and from from that it came obviously the realization that the con construction industry is very underrepresented <laughs> on the gender on the gender side so um in, in kenya i think um we are about 10 or 11% uh, women architects and 3% uh, builders. Um, so, you know, and you see that when you actually go to site and all the, the, the construction workers that apply are men, you don't see a single woman in there. Um, so builder 
uh, came from that realization. And when when we started uh, working on on sites many many years ago, um, we we realized actually that by bringing women into the construction site and and into the workforce, um, it, we our our sites were a lot more efficient because of having both men and women working and they doing the the same work. Um, so so the we kind of wanted to expand the, the benefits to that, uh, of that to other cons- construction companies. So we started Builder as a kind of, it, it got incubated within uh, within Buildex and then branched off to, to become its own thing. So it, it started sort of from, from that frustration of, of wanting more women on the side because we realized the benefits of it, but also not being able to find skilled women to be able to fill those, those more skilled positions. Um, they would always come as unskilled. Um, so, so Builder is essentially a training institute um, that, that is a training women in construction skills, starting with com- carpentry and specialist finishes and then well, I'm sure it will move on to to many other things, and Tato will tell you more about it on the on the following podcast. But um, but yeah, that's that's kind of where where it came from, and and hopefully it's gonna go well. It's it's been it's been growing hugely. I mean, the last uh, year they've gone from one little warehouse to three warehouses. They think they're training hundreds of uh, of trainees every year. Um, they're growing a lot, and uh, the our, our relationship now between Buildex and Builder it's is yeah we're, we're basically sister companies so we benefit of uh, the Builder woman on our uh, on our sites and we even have some Builder women uh, within our within our core team and uh, we also give them employment so we're one of their employment partners so yeah we kind of benefit from each other and we we were born out of the same I guess the same the same DNA yeah <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that's so great to hear. Um, yeah, I think yeah, your organization like kind of really embodies <laughs> all these different aspects from <laughs> like you mentioned from like the team outward to the final product. And so um, yeah, it's really great to hear. And so we're coming up to the end of our time together. So I'll ask you one last question um, before we yeah. hop off. And so my question is like, what's next for Buildex Studio? You're doing all these great things. So yeah, what are you up to next? Oh gosh, brace yourself. Um, <laughs> I, well, I mean, we've, we've already been talking about a lot of uh, things that are part of our future. So we've got, you know, we've got CLT and pioneering a uh, natural material such as timber. We've got the 10,000 homes um, that, you know, we've got the first home coming up later this year and, and hopefully that will lead to many more. And, you know, go. I guess to, to go full circle, going, going back to, what we what we talk about radically better buildings um, uh, being equitably designed and enhancing quality of life and well-being uh, and also going towards zero carbon I think that's uh, that's uh, one of the the main kind of uh, targets that we've got and you know there's a very clear target between your Paris agreements and and all these things that we need to reach net zero by 2050 so so in in the construction industry and as sort of pioneers in in uh, all these natural materials and all these things we uh, we want to get our buildings to reach those targets earlier and to sort of lead the way so that um, so that others can can follow. So uh, our our goal is to be reach net zero by 2030 uh, on uh, on our buildings, hopefully, so, so that then people can also follow and jump on the bandwagon and so sharing as as many of our learnings along the way as um, as we can, so that other people can also 
contribute uh, towards that because this is a a battle that we all need to fight within the, the design and urbanism and construction industry, just trying for, for the impact that we create through our buildings to be as positive as it can be. And so you, sorry, you mentioned something really interesting there where you talked about like, yeah, contribution and expanding and, and sharing the things. And so let's say if people want to get involved in like the expansion of, let's say just focusing on the circular affordable housing project. Yeah. What, how could people get involved in, in helping the growth of this initiative? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, follow us um we are we are on twitter linkedin facebook and uh, uh, all these places and with all of these things knowledge is power so you know we like to share as, as much of uh, of the knowledge that we're gathering as we as we can um and we are not only uh, executing you know uh, houses like the zima homes project and and whatnot but also doing a lot of research like with circular affordable housing and we want to disseminate that research we want that research to to reach as many people as possible so follow us build your knowledge share knowledge with us um so that we can share it back and uh, through through building up that knowledge we can hit these high ambitious goals together as you've heard, Carolina and the BuildX Studio have a lot of exciting projects on the go. In fact, since we last spoke, I received an exciting update from Carolina that the studio has actually unveiled a prototype of their cross-laminated timber project in Nairobi. And they have a video showcasing exactly what it looks like and the potential that this technology can unlock for housing in this region and beyond. To watch that video and learn more about BuildX Studio, make sure to visit www.buildxstudio.com. To learn more about their sister branch, Build Her, stay tuned for an upcoming episode with Tattoo, the co-founder and CEO of Build Her. Thanks for listening to this episode. For this episode's show notes and other resources, make sure to visit www.urbanlimitrofe.com. Also, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and follow the podcast on social media at Urban Limitrofe to stay up to date and stay tuned for new episodes coming your way. Until next time.